Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. This is September the 3rd, 2016. Uh, as you can see, I'm Rodney. Over here we have Kim. Where? And last, but certainly not least, we have Dr. Wilson. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Wilson. God. You're welcome, Dr. Wilson. <laughs> Dr. Pablo Wilson. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Yes. Um, so, first first off to anybody who's watching or listening later, chinchilla, chinchilla, chinchilla. Uh, we are looking at the second half of The Madness of Caligari, an anthology edited by Joe Pulver, published by Fadogan and Burmer. Uh, pre-order link is in the description if you want to check it out. Um, so, let's see. Last time we started with Steve, so this time we're going to start with Kim. Impressions on the second half. Love it. Love it. Love it. Drove me crazy. Yeah. Love it. All right. Worth every single penny, you, you would be paying for it. I would say that I paid for it, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Although Zing. I would totally buy it again. I, I totally would. <laughs> well, the pre-order link's in the description, so click on this it. This is true. And pick up a copy. Um, Steve, impressions on the second half? Um, I thought the second half was very different from the first half. I think the second half... The first half was more... Mad scientist, madness focused, and this is a, more an exploration of uh, form of story and the somnambulist aspect of the Caligari mythos, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought after after reading uh, the Mayor of Ephemera and and that being the end of the first half of the ep uh, first episode in the first half, that really going going into the twelfth story. It was like almost reading a second book, uh, which is kind of cool because you know you you don't get yeah. that often. It's often there's a you know I want to say there there are continuity, but there's definitely a continuity in this one as well. But it's just that is it was like reading it again for the first time. Um, yeah, so uh, let's let's just jump right into the the, the stories here. Uh, the first one on the list is Et Spiritus Sancti by Nadia Bulkin. Who wants, who wants to go first? I'll start. Okay. So this was uh, the English Civil War with Caligari as Cromwell. And it all happens after... That's a metaphor. That's it's a fantastical land. But... It, it very well has parallels to Cromwell and the installation of Parliament in England, blah, 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 blah. Magna Carta, all that crap. <laughs> Magna Carta! And all that crap. Uh, but we, we, we are after the war, and 
the government is trying to shore up their power by marrying off the last surviving heir, who is a princess, to the, the throne to a prominent member of parliament, as was her father's final wish. Mm. And she becomes plagued by the incompetence of parliament and her her husband-to-be, and a, I guess a, a, was it a dream, a prophecy, where she was basically told there's a, a traitor amongst the court. Right. And she is, she thinks that they should be looking for the traitor above, above all else, mm. um, because it is a threat to her power, whereas her husband-to-be, who is a member of parliament, really wants to get the ball rolling on, you know, governing. Yeah. Because that's what you do. And that's where we, we kind of have the action of the story. Yeah. Kim? Uh, yeah. yeah. I agree with his assessment. And I thought it was... Oh, jeez. i got to look over my notes again. <laughs> Caligari is Cromwell, just so you know. This was one that I almost wasn't sure that this one belonged in there. It was almost as if you could have dropped in any other name besides Caligari and had it still work. I mean, there were kind of the themes of uh, some nebulism. There was a dream involved. But it's like, uh, yeah, just kind of... I mean, it was excellently done. It was really well done. It mm-hmm. was like, yeah. Well, I think I thought that I mean, they used name dropping. I mean, uh, Alan, Cesare, Caligari. You could have dropped in any of their names to substitute these and still had it work. Without knowing what Caligari was about. Well, you you had the whole bit of the hypnotism and the bird, which I think tied it very well into Caligari, and I think that if you were unfamiliar with the movie, that wouldn't be as obvious of a of a clue as it was um, in context of the film. Right, and and you had and you had your your Caligari in the story um, observing. Now we didn't want to do many spoilers, but. I, I think this is kind of important for the thematic sense is that you know you had your Caligari observing from his secret room his own little cabinet is if you will within within the castle right and now if you read some of the criticism of the movie um, that Joe had provided at the during the last uh, show mm-hmm. uh, one of the big themes that they say, um, in the movie is the theme of control um, post World War One, where mm-hmm. where Caesar is the, the the German soldier sent to war unwillingly, with his innocence um, being at stake, where uh, Caligari being the, the Kaiser government. Not to get too much into that, but the major theme of this story was. Um, power, and where power lies, and how to retain power, mm-hmm. and that definitely um, fits in with, with 
a major Caligarian theme that really hasn't been looked into previously in this in this collection. Yeah. You know, and you, you had the, you have the parallels between a republic form of government and you know the divine authority of kings, as it were. And you know, I I thought it was it was a great opening to the second half of the book. Um, you know, I I I I found it you know in it engaged me with its intrigues and. It's like, ooh, mm-hmm. who's going to get backstabbed first? Yes, who is and, this traitor? Yeah, who is the no. traitor? And, and, and I found it to be very, very poetic in a sense. Um, and yeah, it it just it sucked me right back in after you know mm-hmm. taking a couple of days off from from the first half. Now, Go ahead, guys, Steve. Did you guys have the Beatles song and your bird can sing in your mind while you were reading this? <laughs> No. I did. I still have that guitar line jangling away in my brain. <laughs> that's that's because it's it's yours. Alright, so after following up at Spiritus Sancti, uh, we go into Blackstone, a Hollywood Gothic by by Orin Gray. Damn you, Orin Gray! We will not be sucked into your games. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, now, I really liked this story. I, I, I liked yeah. the... That's the... a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Rodney uh, likes something. Take thy beak from out my heart <laughs> and shove it up your own... No. <laughs> Is that from the Pit Beak movie? Uh, no, that was from the first draft of the Raven. <laughs> Excuse me. The pit beef and the pendulum. Yeah. So, so what we have, what we have is, you know, um, a quote-unquote B-grade movie being made, a horror film, uh, with some very strange occurrences on the set. And I, you know, I just, I just really liked it. I liked the way it was built up. I liked um, the the narrator, um, and how everything just fell into place. You know, the the mystery aspect of it, mm-hmm. it just, it it, just, it was really great. It was an excellent follow up to the previous story. Um, yeah, and it it just kept the ball rolling, and it, it's. Um, as we'll find out later, and, and I'll talk. Uh, actually, I'll just save that point for when we get further down the line. What do you guys think of it? This was different in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think it's a really spoiler to say what the creature was. Is it? Mm, well, no, not really. No, this this was a zombie. This was about a zombie. And this was the first one that I've seen that was like that. The first one that connected the the Caligari phenomenon with the zombie figure. Which, in a way, is really quite apt. When you think about the, the Haitian concept of the zombie, it was a living person that was enthralled by a sorcerer. Well, that's exactly what Cesare was to Caligari. Mm-hmm. And to have it be an honest-to-goodness zombie committing, committing crimes for that person 
terrorizing a set, you know, terrorizing the people. That mm-hmm. was that was refreshing. That was nice. And the protagonist was cool too. Not only was it a woman, but it was a black woman in 1940s cinema, which you mm-hmm. know would have been unheard of. And she is in fact the brains behind the <laughs> the uh, yeah. the brawn. Yeah, she she works for she works for Garth Marenghi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, she she works for a guy who who had a couple of bestsellers, and he's out he's out there trying to earn a quick check, and stalling on the his next manuscript. So he's just taking these jobs, but he's not really doing anything. He's he's just the figurehead, right? Which I thought that was an excellent, an an excellent and interesting relationship dynamic. Going on yeah. there between the two of them, and and, and they're not sleeping together for once, and, and they're not awesome. sleeping together. They're pretending yeah. that they yeah right, I mean, might be. They're not. They're not rebuffing the claims, right? Um, well, because he has his own secret too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He Probably. does. He's a little bit gay. Just just a, bit. Just a tad. But you know, I, I love how he be, you know the famous writer becomes the sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a Lily character, except that this woman actually heads into danger. Right. <laughs> Instead of getting dragged in by everybody else. Right. <laughs> yeah, I you know, and this this was an this was an excellent story. Um I like Orin no, Greg. Yeah. So you know, I haven't been able to read much by Orin, but uh the the last Couple of things we've read by him have both been like really strong. So he he has a really good sense of popular culture, yeah. mm-hmm. and and weaves uh, uh, influences from a lot of various um, sources. My note is it's sort of the sh- of a shadow of a vampire for Caligari, but mm-hmm. I mean there, there's elements of remember that Batman uh, story. Where uh, Bruce Wayne funds a movie and everybody's dying on the set, and it, um, the, the the Red Baron returns. It's a Red Baron movie, and the Red Baron comes by and starts killing the the actors. There's a little bit of that in there. I'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes which one it is. All right. Uh, which brings us into uh, Reggie Oliver's. I'm hoping I'm saying it, it's, it's Oliver and not Olivier. Uh, the ballet of Dr. Caligari. What'd you guys think of that one? Um, my notes. Well, to fill the dead air, I'll say I, I fucking love this story. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that one. Okay, yeah, that that was pretty good. It had a. It, and a really nice dark gothic feel to it. Oh, this is the one that ha- that was really about the framing device rather than the story. Mm-hmm. And and it was it, it played it played with uh, time a little bit in terms of things. It, that's that's the part that I really enjoyed is is how time was played with, yeah. and and there were circles and and, and things like that. Plus. 
plus the the atmosphere. It was just it started out, and it just and a, kind of a strange encounter, and it just get, kept getting stranger and stranger. Right, but but the cool thing about the story was that in the movie, the framing device is like this big controversy whether it belongs there. Apparently, it wasn't originally written in there, and the director wanted it in there. And the framing device actually, it could be said that it negates the action of the film. Um, because it turns out that the main character is the crazy one in the asylum run by Caligari. Correct, correct. And, and the structure of this story uses that without spoiling it. Mm-hmm. Um where you're playing around with perception and time because of a framing device. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and and sadly, you know, because we're trying to keep the spoiler free because the book itself is still in the pre-order stage. Right. You know, we can't get too too in depth with any of the discussion because we don't want to spoil these stories for the reader. Mm. But you you basically have a a uh, composer, an up and coming composer, who gets hired to write the, the music for a Caligari ballet. Right. They a lifelong project for this, this one choreographer. Right. This choreographer has tried it before, and it seems that every time he's tried to get this this done, something tragic happens mm-hmm. to, to the composer. So it, it brings <laughs> up it brings up the idea of the cursed compose the cursed production. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you, things that you you hear about it with in terms of like Poltergeist and certain other films. Right. Um, you know, the old Macbeth superstition for actors. I just watched that um, <laughs> that Black Adder episode. <laughs> Don't say Macbeth. Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that in years. Um, yeah, and it. It, it toyed it toyed with that idea a little bit and and yeah I just I just liked how the cast was really small and the narration was like tight it was fast paced and it you know it was it was like all three of the you know the other two stories that we've talked about so far were also that way they were you know the the casts were small even though they were set above in backdrops where there are hundreds of people involved. Right. But you only get one or two points of view, um, and the pacing—it was just right. You know, uh, every—it flowed smoothly. This was the same way; it flowed smoothly. There wasn't any awkward transitions between uh, the progression of weirdness. And uh, yeah, I just—I just really, really liked it. It's a beautiful story. Yes, very well done. And and the weirdness wasn't unbelievable. No. No, very, very dreamlike. I'm, I'm segueing. Yeah. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Segue. Into what, I wonder? Segueing into, into, into depravity that make depraved men blush. <laughs> uh, yeah, the oh, next story sorry. is Bellman's Bride or the Game in the Game of the Doll by Cody Goodfellow. Cody Goodfellow. Now I I saw you guys reacting in the Monday Night Heroes chat about this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't. And I, this as one. I recall, my my response was "Holy fuck." Yeah, 
you actually, you guys, you guys reacted. You guys reacted very verbally to two stories. Did I say something about this story? I thought I yes, didn't. yes, you did. Uh, what, what did I say? Uh, I it was. Tell I was a perverted SMB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cody. I mean, for those of you who don't know, he is. He's. I mean, at least his writing is. He might be a very straight-laced guy. I've never met him. He was at Necro. I didn't meet him. I met him. Was He's he? cool. Right. I gave him a dollar. Ooh. Cause, I got him to sign my book. No, I'm kidding. I, I didn't see Cody. I was with Steve the whole time. Rodney gave him a dollar because he looks like he... No, I... He looks like a hobo. <laughs> no, by, by all accounts, Cody's a good guy. Yes. People that like Cody, and I'll tell you what, Cody stands up to to uh, Sideshow Bob all the time, and just for that, it makes him a mention my book. That's right. Now, now let's let's stick to the stick to the task at hand here. Um, this is the story of a Nazi um, who, rather than being a soldier in the front line during the during the war, this is toward the end of the war. Berlin's bombed to shit. Uh, he is the guy who can get you hooked up with whatever you want. He's a henchman. Nazi quartermaster. He's, he's kind of like a Nazi quartermaster. He's a fixer. If you need something done, you talk to this guy. You can get it done. You want you want Jamaican rum in bombed out Berlin? He's the guy to talk to. Who's the guy in Catch Twenty Two? I mean, he's the Nazi version of the guy in Catch-22. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... But because he's a Nazi, he's not a very nice guy. No, no he's... Nobody. There are no good guys in this in this story. None. Maybe um, you know, the SA officer that picks him up? <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know. Context. I mean, they're all Nazis, so they're not good guys, just by definition. But yeah, but yeah. So I this mean, is at the end of the war, and their careers are winding down, and they know this. Well, I mean, they know that that everything's going to shit. That the Allies are coming in from the west, and Russia's coming in from the east. The yeah, and and the Fuhrer has retreated to his bunker. They know that everything's going to shit, and they they all know what was. These are these are guys that are near the upper echelons right. of the regime, of the military. Um, well, this guy's the general's attache, his right-hand right. man. Yep, his right-hand man, so he knows what was going on. Well, and he's trying to get the hell out of Dodge to go to Argentina. Right, right. he's trying to get to Argentina. Everybody, you know, all the, everything's falling apart, everything's going to shit, and these guys are trying to recoup their losses because they know once, once either the Russians or the Allies get to Berlin, they're hosed. So, you know, they're trying to put all of their ducks in a row to either get out or make a last stand. Because you can't be just following orders if you're the one giving the orders. Right. Right. Which is where these guys are. Now, there is all sorts of, uh, you know, twisted and crazy shit going on. I mean, the opening sequence alone is just intensely brutal. Yes. Um, Pulling a guy's head underwater. Yeah, a guy named Frog. Into a shark tank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a pimp. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, so the the basic setup for the story is is that the general has this like prostitute that he is enamored of. I mean, he try, spends all of his waking time thinking of her, all of his waking time, you know, visiting her. You know, uh, he's not doing his job as a general. Right. Um, and he's unavailable to get um, anger. The, the the main character's name is is uh, what is it? I forgot his rank, but he it's, it's anger. Auto anger. Second, yeah, second. I'm sure that's not how you say it in, in German, English. but yeah, it's it, anger fits him really well. Yeah, that is a very appropriate name. So he he is trying to get out, and he cannot because the general who can get him out is with his Felucy. Right. So and it's his search for the general by following the leads of follow the Felucy. Right. Um, you know, and the SS is also looking for the general. Right. And they have a little sequence there, which has the rather disturbing imagery of the gloves that are as supple as a sub-Saharan African child's skin mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And, now, you know, lovely. and because it is an SS guy, maybe it is. <laughs> I guess you never know. Well, now just remember, all these protagonists are unreliable. Mm. <laughs> now, there is a sequence in here when he first goes into the psychology clinic. Mm -hmm. he, tracks, he tracks them first to this psychology clinic, which is um, a cover, obviously. Where, there, instead of a receptionist, there is a mannequin. Right. And he, for some reason, attacks the mannequin... And just pissed. inside the mannequin, he sees reproduced the exact thing that's happening outside of the mannequin. So you get inside the mannequin's belly, where the belly should be. It's hollowed out, and he sees a tiny theater, and within lay a perfect diorama of the doctor's antechamber with a miniature desk and cabinets and a tiny female doll with a tiny man straddling her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... It's this like, story has a little bit of everything in it. I mean, it, there, there is just brutality. I'm there's, sure there's Nazis. A, there's a tiny mannequin within the tiny mannequin. There's a tiny mannequin within the tiny mannequin within the tiny mannequin. There's fucking mannequins. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I'm, I'm know about you guys, at... but there's a lot of folks who find mannequins very creepy. Hermaphroditic. I look at mannequins the same way ever again. Double hermaphroditic mannequins. Yep. Oh yeah, we won't even get into the big reveal of Aurora. Uh-uh, no. You guys this... just have to read this book and read this story and find out for yourself what Kurt yeah. fellow has done here. Yeah. This this whole story is a freaking trigger warning. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are forms of depravity not covered by this story, but there can't That's... be very many of them. <laughs> but those are covered under the rest of Cody's body. <laughs> And and you know this this is this is you know the transgressive element here, um, you know and with with the dreamlike quality of the the, the first three are just kind of like bizarre dreams. Cody drags you kicking and screaming right into a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't let you go. For no. the rest of the book. You know he takes on the role of anger and he's holding you into the Shark Tank. <laughs> Pretty much through the entire story, and then when he finally uh -huh. lets you go, you're like, holy crap! 
but he kind of makes you feel sorry for the guy, even though he said monster Nazi. Yeah. You kind of feel yeah. bad for him. Yeah, love, you know, sympathy for the devil, as it were. Hmm. Um, yeah, so once again, that's that's four in a row. And it's about to be five. Because the next story on the list is The Insomniac Who Slept Forever by Mike Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can't really say anything bad about Mike Griffin because, you know, I've known Mike Griffin for a while. Steve's met him quite a few times. He's a stand-up uh, guy. Um, I also... I drink coffee with Mike Griffin. In he's, the car. Right. I heard of that story. Um, Listening to Wings. Mike, Mike Griffin, in my mind, is the master of the slow burn. You know, and... He, he does it so well. I mean, after I read uh, Far From Streets... Um, which is in Lure of Devouring Light, I believe. Um, he's just, he takes it and he, it starts really mundane and he slowly, slowly just stirs in more and more strange things going on. And, and is so casual about the weird shit he is adding to the story that, you know, it just, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And it starts building up, building up, building up, and there you have it. And this is the story of a man who checks himself into a clinic uh, because he is an insomniac. An unconventional sleep clinic. Mm. Yes, he's tried everything else. He's tried all the normal stuff. He's tried alternative medicine. And now he's trying this guy, Dr. Doctor Ziz. Ziz. Do you think that that it's is Ziz? He actually says it rhymes with fizz. Yeah. Do you think that'd be the clue that maybe you don't want to trust this guy because his name is Ziz and he's at a sleep clinic? Yeah. It's like, I do I want my insomnia cured by a guy with a supervillain's name? Right. And I wonder <laughs> if Mike yeah, actually consciously named him after the Batman villain. Which one? Zaz, Zaz, the serial killer, marks himself. Victor, Victor Zaz. Yeah, it's possible. You never know. You never know. It's probably because it sounds like snoring, but or, or it, looks like, it looks like the sound of snoring. Yeah, you know, Nitol will help you get your Z's. So maybe it's like Z's. Yeah, Z's. I'll tell you one thing, and it's 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 a spoiler in a roundabout way, mm-hmm. but not really. If either of you have ever read The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch by Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. this story has at least is a nice little tip of the hat to it. Mm. Um, just the way it ends, is, it's a very nice tip of the hat. And just looking back on... Palmer Eldritch, that that book might be heavily influenced by Caligari in the first place. So, it's you a know, big I, I, circle of. I'm I'm getting to the point where I think there is nothing that wasn't influenced by Caligari. In some way. Could be. Um, I bet Shakespeare wasn't. Nothing in the 20th century. <laughs> William Blake wasn't. 
Caligari was so powerful <laughs> that it extends in both directions. Back in time. It travels back in time. The the influence of Caligari is so strongly is so powerful they traveled back in time to influence Caligari. See, little did you know that Caligari is actually from Trafalgar. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, I really like this story, and it, it it's another it's another tale that has a a twist at the end in you know the classic you know thriller style. Mm-hmm. Another cool thing about this story is that the, there's a, a shit ton of dream sequences, mm-hmm. and Griffin, who is also a musician and producer, right, uses a lot of music and film imagery mm-hmm. in these dream sequences. Right. Yeah, Griffin's also a bit of a cinephile himself. Yeah, so you, you, he cool. very skillfully done. Can't yeah. spoil it. But it's very skillfully done. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, which brings us to further questions for the Somnambulist by Paul Tremblay. Um, now this is where the weird just starts kicking in. Yeah, this is this is yeah. if if we were to compare the the anthology um, as a whole to a couple of nights of sleep. This is the section of the night where you are, you know, we've gone through, you know, fantasies, just odd little, you know, dream type things that you dream, you know, things you dream about to a nightmare with Cody and, and you know, a, a different sort of nightmare with Michael Griffin. Um, you know, we get here. This is the part of the, the dream that just becomes completely abstract. And... The, the story itself is, you know, it's composed as there's a setup of a couple of guys waiting to ask um, Cesar, Cesare, Cesare, whatever. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be Cesare. say so say, however you want to say it. Um, you know, they, they, man, they're... a woman and a child. Right, preparing to ask the somnambulist questions. And the rest of the the rest of the tale is the questions that these three characters are running through in their minds. They want to ask. But it's not only the questions; it's the spaces between the questions mm-hmm. where you get to fill in the answers. Right. And it's this this one this story is is not so much a story, but more of a painting with words. Because the way the the questions are laid out on the page, I mean, this is this is a story where really explaining it to you through audio doesn't do it any amount of justice. You have to see it on the page. Yeah. Um, but by it's one note, use of formatting. Um, the one note that I made about this story was that all the deepest and strangest questions boil down to just one thing. Right, which is the last question they all ask. And it's all the same question. Right. And okay. we weren't. We are not going to tell you what that question is. Doctor Who? No. Well, it's <laughs> it's kind of cool that you, you get a like a little insight into how Paul Tremblay views the uh, genders and ages. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he has the woman starts out with really general philosophical political questions. Right. 
And then she starts asking about just some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like, like the weird experience she's having. Yeah. And and just the 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 tone of the questions breaks down as she goes on to more and more ridiculousness that right. you get like into her mind of like how she herself maybe it's because she's sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um and that, that could be a good explanation Ooh. of what what direction her questions take. You have the man who is all about just himself and how right. he affects everything around him, but it all boils down to him. Him. Right. Will I be remembered? Will right. Will my name go on, et cetera, right. et cetera. And every every question is egocentric, and then you have the the child's question. Um, our fears about growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, fears about his parents no longer loving him. Right. Fears about what his parents do when he's not around, or right. she. There's no. I'm leaning towards she that. actually. Um, you mean the way we are, really. You know, uh, there's there's also there's also a bit of a, a you know fear of the dark mm-hmm. in there. There's uh, curiosity just about the world, and you know it, how strange is the world in reality? Right. Not you know, here. Like, like the well, the you just it got was, tagged, man. <laughs> you just got tagged. I did. I don't know what the hell that was. Moth. I mean, you you can actually think that the that they're a family because the the women's questions and the child's questions kind of coincide toward the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, that's all. Speculative, and that's all in the mind of the reader, right? Although there, there is the the eternal child's question of what is mommy and daddy that banging noise coming from their room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I started wondering about the man's questions as to whether this was revealing his identity. You know, the questions got oddly specific about what was going to happen in his. Regarding his legacy, I guess you could say. Yeah. I kind of made me wonder: Is this is ooh, is this somebody upcoming? Is this? Hmm. Yes, Kim. Actually, Paul Tremblay was writing about me. Oh, okay. Yeah. We all we all knew it. <laughs> yeah. Will the Rosencrantz name go on? Right. <laughs> Forever. Yes. Will I ever be anyone but Dr. Wilson? Oh, God. <laughs> is, that, is that a segue, my dear? That is a segue. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, the next story we're, we're coming up is The the Righteousness of Conical Men by Michael Sisko. <sighs> this uh, one is a murder mystery set in La La Land. Yeah, I fucking loved it. <laughs> everybody's named Dr. Wilson. Oh, uh, not everybody. Everybody <laughs> but two people are named Dr. Wilson. Right. Uh, and one of those names is assumed. That's right. Well, I'll tell you who did it. Who Spoiler did it? alert, it was Dr. Wilson. Dr. Oh, Wilson I knew it. Yep. The murder was committed by Dr. Wilson. And was solved by Dr. Wilson. Yeah. With, doctor, with the help of Dr. Wilson. 
That Dr. was Wilson. Good. <sighs> you know, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. This is going to be a small spoiler, but I did laugh at, out loud during the beginning of this story when you know the cause of death was he died of a heart attack because people were chasing him across rooftops. <laughs> Just the matter of fact delivery of that. You know, you're you're here to investigate a murder. And the cause of death was a heart attack. Well, there's a lot going on in this story. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of layers and a lot to sift through to actually figure out what is going on. Mm -hmm. um, it was almost as if Cisco just wanted to take every dystopia, like Metropolis and Brazil and just mix it all with a little bit of angel heart and pour it out for you with the joke of Wilson. Mm -hmm. And he's making you view all of this and try and sort it out and try and figure all this out with the filter of cool sunglasses on. Everybody, Everybody has cool sunglasses. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, it's, almost, it's almost not fair. You know, you're supposed to understand the rules with these things before you get into them. And he takes the rules and throws them out the window, kicks them around on the curb for a little bit, smashes them, runs them over with a lawnmower, and then uh, dusts his hands off and said, "Now, where were we?" I know that's. I think that's that's why I liked it because it, it was. I mean, it was it was a hell of a ride as far as it the story was. goes. It's very it frustrating. It's a frustrating story. How so? Just reading it, it's it's frustrating. It's um, everybody's named Wilson, so you, you you have to reread parts to see who is who. Um, there's times where he actually changes the name of the person he's talking about, so you have to backtrack to see who the fuck he's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point, he refers to one of the characters as something, and then reverts back to Wilson. Right. So um, it's you know it's not a it's not something you can just read over and and get right. So yeah, I, but it's a bit frustrating. You have to be half mad yourself to understand even what the hell is going on. I'm not on. saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was a bit frustrating. No, it was excellent. Oh um, my gosh, you made me want to put my head through a wall. Um, I understood what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're second fiddle, Rob. You know, I, you know, I was, I was just like, I was along with this guy for the ride, man. I was, I was, I was feeling it, and I was like, damn, the story's over. Shit. Yeah. Damn it! <laughs> you know, in, in fact, you know, this this is one that I want to go back and read again to see if I missed anything reading through it the first time. You know, and they're they're they're. Let's see, what is my notes? Okay, first off, first note, crazy shit. Yep. Um, it, it's it's, it's kind of it, in in some ways it's kind of like a painting that it's just it it. It's an expressionist noir, if you want to say so, because everything that happens is, is representative of anything that happens in your average detective story. 
but it's just slightly off kilter where, yeah, it, it can be frustrating, it can be maddening, and you want to put your head through a wall because, you know, do I tilt my head this way? Do I tilt my head that way? You know, um, and, and in, in some ways, it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Rorschach test as a piece of prose. Was was the other note that I made here? That you know, I think anybody that reads it is going to see see something a little bit different um, and get a little something different out of it. Well, this is one, what I was talking about earlier when we're, we're now in the part of the book that you're actually experimenting with the prose mm-hmm. um, as, as, the, uh, as the vector of, of the madness mm-hmm. as opposed to having a mad scientist or a sleepwalker. Or right. a madman himself, you are actually just using the grammar, the structure, to uh, the actual story itself right. is the the theme. Yes, to 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 impart that very very expressionist, I guess, um, in and of itself. It's right. it's the the literary equivalent of having those um, freaky sets with all the angles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though the scenery of this story is is the freaky. freaky, the freaky right. set, glass cones everywhere. Conical, yeah. everything is conical, <coughs> and people have conical hats. Yeah, it's it's almost. Um, remember in the movie version of Naked Lunch, mm-hmm. where. He referred to himself as a reporter, right? But he was really just, you know, he was an author. But he was making his reports. It was like a, in his head, he was kind of like a spy novel writer. Mm-hmm. And right. this is this is kind of the opposite of that, where he's actually an investigator. Right. He's more like a cop, but right. he's but they they tell him it's a report. Right. They tell him, yeah. And and the 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 entire idea of the city editor actually editing the city, right? <laughs> which is which, was really interesting. Which reminded me a lot of um of nineteen eighty four, mm-hmm. where you, the control of information is the control of power. Right. Right, and everyone's a doctor. Everyone goes to see the hypnotist. Right. And you know they get their. There's a certain awesome. there's a certain level of programming that's going on within the minds of the residents of this town. Right. Everywhere yeah. else is normal, except for this place. Right. You don't know how extensive this place is, though. Right. It seems like it goes on forever, but you know there's an outside somewhere. Right. This kind of made me think of Tron, or uh, the Thirteenth Floor. Okay. And it's like it's uh, literally pre-programmed. I mean, all the geometry involved with the conical shapes and all that, where mm-hmm. everything seems t- uh, everything seems built to a template. Mm-hmm. Even like so far as to say, everyone is Dr. Wilson. Right. This is what that reminded me of was a a program, mm-hmm. and that is literally being edited. I can see that. I can see that. Just kind of how, like, just in the Matrix, where all the all the guys are Agent Smith. Right. You know, it's 
I'm Agent Smith. This is Agent Smith. That that sort of thing. There's there's a distinct lack of identity going on here, and and even though characters do seem to have their own personalities, they have no identity. They certainly don't. Not only are they all named Wilson, but for each assignment, they get a different first name too. Right. Yep. They get they get a a, a new name. And they sit around the coffee shop going, hey, guys, I need a name. <laughs> uh, how about Jedediah Wilson? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I think I'll use that one this yeah, time. Sure. So, uh, I was like, if you get a name that has been used, if you assume the same personality... I, I don't know. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of questions about how this society works. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that that I found going on in the back of my mind was you know, you know let's veer over here and you know how does how does that work? Which is distracting. Yeah, it can be. Very. You can follow, and you follow that adds line to the frustration of reading the story. Yes, you are kept constantly on your toes. You never get a break ever. But there yeah. are also mannequins. <laughs> Now, as an aside, it's funny that you had said that you wanted to reread this one because the Roman story from uh, Swords vs. Cthulhu yes. that Cisco wrote, I read twice because I wanted to make sure I knew what the hell was going on. Right on. Yeah, I, I liked it because it was just it was just so batshit insane. It really was. It really yeah. was. Now, the next story on the list. <laughs> My first we... note is... Damn you, Tanzer! <laughs> <laughs> the Nature Which Peers Out in Sleep by Molly Tanzer. Which is a, a, a beautiful romantic story. This story How do you is tell us without spoilers? The, it's a palate cleanser yep. for the entire series. I will say this. Every story in here with the possible exception, possible exception of Jeffrey Thomas's story, mm -hmm. is in one way, shape, or form bleak. Mm -hmm. I can agree with that. And this one is not. Right. This one actually gives you that ray of hope in hopelessness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was one. Of the you know, my note was well. I'll get to my note in a second, but you know, one thing about this story is that you know there are no sinister. There's no sinister motives. There's no betrayal. There's no. There's no horror in this story at all. Yeah, it, these are just two people who. Yeah, two two people. Go out and they go on a date. Well, th there is a kind of fear, though. I mean, the the main character he has a lot of fear. Yeah, there's is there's the fear, fear of not being accepted for what he is and what he wants. Right. So there but, is that journey that he has to go through. Right, but now that you can get not not to diminish the story at all, but you can get that anywhere. I mean, you could go and you could go to the fiction section of Barnes and Nobles and pick out a book, and you can get that kind of fear outside of horror. Mm-hmm. And I think what Rodney's saying is that within it's 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 not an ordinary story, 
<laughs> but it has... Define ordinary. <laughs> well, just let me talk. Okay, it's, okay. It's not like an ordinary story, but within the, in the context of this, of this um, book and, and within the context of Caligari itself, you know, it stands out. Yes. Definitely does. Because and it's not dealing with cosmic fears, cosmic horror, or madness. It's dealing with very, you know, day-to-day fears, which mm-hmm. can balloon into something where, yes, you can have an issue with that. You know, a little fear is healthy. A lot of fear sends you to Arkham Asylum. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, as you were saying, you know, it's, it's extraordinary and it stands out in this anthology for the simple fact that it it's normal. It's so damn normal. Um, that's that's the feeling mundane. I was left with. Uh, mundane. It's it's mm-hmm. extraordinary because it's ordinary. Um, you know, once again to equate it with the dream. This is this is that one pleasant dream you had over the course of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, that's good. And. Yeah, it, it it does. It's it. I when I, I read it was I nice. read I read Cisco's and then I went into went into uh, Tanzer's story, and I actually had to put the book down after reading this because I really had to sort out in my head how I felt after this story ended. Because I, I it was it it's. It's it's normal. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing is like the, the things that drive these people, maybe not the particulars, right? Are what pretty much ninety nine percent of everybody alive wants. Right. Right. I mean, when you boil down all the 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 ephemera, the trappings. This is what people want, and yeah. Molly Sanders gives it to you. You know this. This yeah. this is our this is our dream, in a, in effect. Sure. And it's to be accepted. And, and these these characters get without exactly judgment. You know, what they want, and you know, with without running the risk of a spoiler, it is a happy ending. And that literally. <laughs> and that's yeah. the other thing is I like kept like, <laughs> several times. I kept on expecting the other shoe to drop. Yeah, when does this go well, south? When does this go well, south? Not only because, I mean, the context is in in the book, because, <laughs> Jesus Christ, but also because I find that in, in life in general, when things are going good, I expect the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. I expect. You're, you're a pessimist, but I think this, this story. I would say most people are. But we've been primed pretty well by the rest of this book by now. That's true. We right. expect we've the other shoe to drop. Yep, we've so. been we've been we've been led along to believe that the the shoe the other shoe is going to drop. That there are sinister motivations, there are nefarious things going on in the shadows. That, but you know, no, not here. Not here. You know, it's like yeah. good on you, pal. Yeah. You go, Jordan. <laughs> and there's vegan uh, chorzo, so. Ah, oh, well, there we go. Right. 
Um, yeah. So Molly, so, Molly, thanks for the little cute little flower. We appreciate that. Yeah, that we liked little, it. It was actually kind of a pick me up. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, there was the last story in the book. <laughs> One, two, yeah. there's still a three there's more, three more stories. stories. Yeah. yeah, three more stories to take that happiness and rip it out from under. And and yeah. in that in 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 doing doing it this way, uh, Molly Tanzer has given us you know in between rounds, she's given us a towel and a drink of water, and now we're the bell's about <laughs> to ring. Us, she's let us up for air from the shark tank. <laughs> She led us up from the shark tank for a breath, and now we've got to get plunged back in. Because the next story on the list is The Sleeping Life by Daniel Mills, and and this one is another brutal one. Yeah. Um, I like the way this one was written. I really like the way the way the structure was. Mm -hmm. You learn the story through snippets of yep. the guy is basically the somnambulist again, mm -hmm. who has um, very brief periods of actually, lucidity. Actually, I think it, in and not just the somnambulist, he's the somnamb somnambulist. Yes. You know, this is this is the. My note is that it's the or the painful origin story of of Cesar. We're going to say it every single possible way uh, it can be pronounced. Caesar. <laughs> Caesar. Caesar. The painful origin story of Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> what the hell was that? I don't know. That was the, the Yiddish. Klingon. That was Klingon. <laughs> yeah, so, but... So you get this guy, he's a somnambulist, and you get little snippets of his life, like mm. being born by cesarean section. Oh, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Blew your mind right there. <laughs> mind blown. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you you go through these just these little the the fragments of when the, when he was awake or, you know, this this and it's and it reads like, you know. Conversations and, and events that happen when you're first waking up in the morning or just yeah. about to go to sleep, and everything's just slightly distorted, and you're aware of things, but you're not aware of things. It's it's kind of like a a Charles Dickens story on mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's grouped by year, so you only get one snippet per year. Mm -hmm. So. Like section one is year one, section two is year two, and so on. Section and so one forth. is year zero. Well, well, section zero is year zero. Yeah, there is a section zero. A cesarean section. Cesarean. Yeah. Ah. Cesarean. Ah. He used Can't... the joke twice, ladies and gentlemen. I know. <laughs> well, I didn't say section. You did. This is the only story where all of my notations are in all caps and they're all underlined. And really? Yeah. My my notations read thus. No, 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 no. Not fair, not fair, not fair. That is the entirety of my notations on this one. Yeah, this 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 dude had a rough ass life. He really yeah. did. <clears throat> no shit. Um, 
you know, and this is this is another story where there there are no good guys. No. You know, and yeah, and Mills is his, his father. His father was no. His actual father. His actual father was the only good guy, um, and he was a good guy. He was clever. Yes. Yeah. The, re- the, rest the, right it, thing. the rest of it was a Decemberist song. I mean, I think the people who took him in after the thing happened with his father, I think they might have been good people. Oh no! But they they might have been no, misled a little the bit. Same people. Uh, oh really? Was, oh shit! He got retaken by the. The priest and the psychiatrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, back, no, 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 no. Back in the ring. And, 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 and you know, you get this you get the inkling that that the uh, the character can see the future early on because he you know, when when everyone's marching off to World War One. Hmm. You know, all the you know, affix your bayonets, get on the train and he's like, No, no, no. And he runs into the church to ring the alarm bell. Hops over the priest. Shoves the priest down, just like, get out the way, fucking duck. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, he was a bad priest. Padre. Yeah, he's not in the Jesse Custer kind of way. Or maybe in the Jesse Custer kind of way. No, he was more like the... You get protected by the thin papal line kind of way. Yeah. 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 He knows where the bodies are buried. Sure. So yeah, this was a this was a, 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 a gut, another gut puncher. There's been several in this anthology. Yeah, but this one's kind of cool because as you, you get to put it together as you're going along, it doesn't. You don't get hit in the gut until you realize, oh shit, I was hit in the gut. Right. Yeah. That's true. Just the way it's structured, it's uh, it, it, it it's all there in plain black and white. You just don't realize it's there until it's too late. Later on, then you're like, oh fuck, <laughs> oh no, shit, not fair. That's what he was doing because he doesn't say. The shovel was in my hand. I was digging a grave. Right. <laughs> Describes a scene where you're like, "What would he be doing that?" Yeah. Right. What? Oh shit! Fuck no! Ah, oh, God, I. Now, I if you donate uh, fifty dollars to Kim's uh, Patreon, <laughs> she will give you her notes. She'll send them right to you. You can Ooh, have those notes. Oh, she'll, oh. she'll autograph them and send them to you. Sure. All caps and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Wrinkly old and, paper and, and all. And if you, if you send me $50, I will send you most of my notes from the first half. As you see, there is a secret missing section. Ooh. Uh, the person who gets, sends me $150 gets the missing section. Do they have to extract it from the feces of your children? No, no. Okay. Just making sure. They might have to pull it out of the stone hand of a statue or something. Um, so, yeah, speaking of you know, uh, going along and then all of a sudden, oh, shit, oh, shit, uh, the next story on the list is To See, To Be Seen by John Langan. Um, 
Yeah, this is this is another one. This was kind of a, a slow burn in the beginning. Um, you know, these three guys have this job of cleaning out foreclosed houses. Right. Where mm-hmm. folks default on their loans and their credit cards and stuff and just skip town with whatever they can carry. These guys go in and uh, seize all your belongings for liquidation. Which is not a not a very fun job. Um, and yeah, and the creep factor starts building up right away, right away. Um, and then it kind of fades into the background a little bit, and then it comes right back to the forefront. Um, yeah, I you know the the end of this story was just like, yeah. This one was like a classic weird tale. This yes. might be the actual only classic weird tale in this collection. But I, don't know. It, it, I, I think Mike Mike's is pretty graphic. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's several. Yeah, Jeff's. Okay, yeah. but this one was like full on, straight up, the window, the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And. It was it was nice because it really put me in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. After after the just like the gut punches and the the you know just the the roller coaster so far to have this in there it was kind of like familiar territory. I know something bad's gonna happen, but it's cool because something bad always happens. Right. <laughs> That's just how these things work. It's just. Right, and and it's there once again. This this story shies away from, you know, hypnotists and evil psychologists yeah. and psychiatrists, and and a lot of the things that we saw earlier throughout the book, and and just gives us a straight up weird tale with um, the actual cabinet prop itself That's featured in the story. Right, which makes a weird kind of sense after all you think about it. Because memorabilia for movies does make its way into the popular culture. It does. So why wouldn't this be somewhere yeah, in somebody's how, how many, dark collection? How many of you people have sonic screwdrivers? Or phasers? Oh, I want one so bad. Or phasers. Or lightsabers. Or Kakashi, my little ponies. <laughs> yeah, um... Okay, I can't claim that. But yeah, I mean this 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 piece of movie memorabilia does you know these things make their way into collections all the time. Right. Um, you know, Kim Kim's been to a place recently that has this type of stuff. I have. Um. And and yeah, which we'll get into another time. But you know, this one takes on this one also takes on more of the urban legend aspect, where it becomes you know a piece of pop culture. But it's the darker side of the pieces of pop culture. It's right. it's not a replica of Mace Windu's lightsaber. It's the little bastard, which was James Dean's car that he died in. Right. Um. So you know, and that that's an interesting little spin on it as well. And yeah, I mean, I thought the I thought the end, you know, the the money shot. Of this story was was pretty good, yeah. very effective. I like John Langdon. He wrote the uh, that Red Sonia esque story. Yes, yes. The the opener of Swords and Me. Mm. Well, I thought it was 
almost relaxing to read this. After the past several stories of where the author was trying to screw with you and screw with your perceptions and and put things a certain way so that you have to adjust your mindset in order to follow it. Mm-hmm. This was straight up story. Straight up bad, bad, bad. The grim was, dark world of Cthulhu isn't so yeah. bad anymore, is it? After reading this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was almost relaxing to read it that way. <laughs> well, that's okay because that was, yeah. the, that was our second reprieve. Because uh, Gemma Files turns around and smacks us over the head uh, and and tries to get inside our brains with yeah. Caligariism. Hold the, on. The closing story. I want this to become a thing. Caligariism. I think it is a thing. Uh, I think oh. I think it might be a thing. I think I, I, I think really? all those notes that she was was. Uh, Taking stories about uh, somebody working on their thesis, and their thesis is Caligari, and there's a lot of information about the history of the film, the criticism of the film, and at one point she is describing to a psychiatrist what uh, Caligarism is. Mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's well researched. I think that. I have to look into this more. Yeah. So Gemma, hopefully I'm saying your name correctly. If you do catch catch this, you know, Kim wants to talk to you about your research for this story. Well, I don't know why she would just make that up and have everything else be fairly accurate. I don't know. Well, yeah, but still. It was something I had never heard of before. If it's real, oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I never heard of it either, but I don't study 1920s silent films. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, this one, this one is, is just... It's it's one of those that burrows in your head, and it also makes the book a complete circle. Because you know, we Ramsey Campbell's story was a guy writing a thesis on, you know, the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Right. And now yeah, and now we we're we're at the end of the book, and her character is writing a thesis huh. about this film. Another academic. And and we we go awesome. we we go from a waking world into into the dream into the nightmare and deeper and deeper into the madness of Caligari, and now we've been brought out, and by the time we're done with the story, we're we're back where we started. We've been pulled into the world, led through the dream, and now we're back out. And breathe. And breathe. <sighs> And I'm to be completely honest with you. I after this past two weeks, I am def I am not reading anything tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I am I am taking at least two days off. I'm reading manga. You're reading manga. <laughs> I'm gonna read manga <laughs> because because yeah. I mean, not only now now that we're 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 you know, we're through. I'm you know I'm sorry we didn't go into a whole hell of a lot of detail other than. This story really is kind of a mind fuck. It really is, but you can't yeah. get beyond that without really when when the the structure of the story becomes tantamount to the story itself. Right. You can't really get into it because you're you're giving spoilers. Right, and this 
you know, and we've tried we've tried to be as spoiler free as possible over the past two episodes, um, because yeah, this I mean, the this, book's not even out. The book's not even out, and it's one of those types of books that you really have to read. And and um, you, to be fair, you should experience it for yourself. Right, the first time, not with any expectation from reading, you know, listening to this review or reading it. You know somebody else's review elsewhere. Um, yeah, this is this is the type of book that you really need to do. Pulver has done, you know, he he got the right authors for the job. He arranged the stories in in the precise way where, I mean, this it's like it's like you're reading the book and you see fucking Joe Pulver's fingers, his paws are sitting there with little strings and. He's, <laughs> Jerking you side to side uh-huh. as you're reading, and you know, and the the cabinet of Joe Pulver. Pulver. This is the second anthology edited by Pulver that we've looked into, and uh-huh. you know, he just he's a master of it. I I would want Joe Pulver to make me mixtapes. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's, it's true. I mean, he because you y'all remember when you used to make mixtapes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. people you know, oh, and this song would go great here, and you like get it all in your mind, and then you like make it to see if it works out, and then you tweak it a little, and you know, it's a it can be an involved process. Yeah, and I think Joe Pulver would be the ultimate mixtape DJ. Well, that's that's what a that's what a an anthology really is. It yeah, is a I mean, it's literary mixtape. But there's not one bad story. Mm-mm. There's not even one like meh story mm-hmm. in this. I mean, he. I think that's a first for us too. Where I there mean, wasn't a single story that any of us could complain about. You can have stories that are better than others, but like these, this is like um, when the archer hits his own bullseye twenty-two times. Right. Right. Yeah, it's definitely you know Pulver did a fantastic job putting this together. Um, you know, you were saying that about mixtapes. It reminded me of a passage in. Um, Limbo, the comic Limbo that I reviewed a little while ago. There is a voodoo priestess who, instead of you know, sacri- you know blood sacrifices or anything like that, she makes mixtapes to summon the Loa. And there is this passage where she says, you know, I make mixtapes, and you th- you think that's a really crappy sacrifice? Well, you've never had a really good mixtape. Yeah, but he'd see the Loa at this book summit. Yeah. That'd be fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this 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 book is is it's heavy. Yeah. And and if you do get a copy of it, um, once again the pre order links in the description below. Read it slowly. Savor it. Don't plow through it in, in a week or two weeks like we did. Yeah. You know, savor it. Read one story and just let that story sink in and take over your mind. Because even even if you do read it 
quickly like we did for the purpose of the review, it still gets into your mind. Yeah. It stays you know? there. It's still there. I mean, it's it's in here. Yeah, it's still there. I mean, you know, I'm probably going to be thinking about this book for the next couple of weeks. And we'll probably be referencing Caligari for the next few weeks as well. Um, I will I will add this on as 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 we're getting closer to the closing. I did watch Caligari 89 um, mm, the other day. <laughs> I put a link in the executive toilet on the on the stall wall, so okay. you guys can. Uh, That's what we call our chat: the executive toilet. The executive toilet. We've got class. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, hey. Nathan, Nathan, toilet. Nathan Carson <laughs> was uh, was was kind enough to to shoot me a link and uh, to that because that was factored into his story so well. Right. And uh, yeah, th that is a film that everybody needs to see at least once. Hey. Because, dude, seriously. That movie is an experience. It, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't decided whether or not I liked it, but <laughs> I, I turned it. I when when the movie was over and the credits rolled, I was just like, "Damn, that was something." <laughs> I am definitely gonna have to watch this. Yeah, movie. definitely, definitely watch that film. Um, if you're if you're tuning in, wondering, you know, about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Watch that as well. Um, you know that's that's on you know, Netflix. Yep, it's, it's on Netflix. Um, you know, a cinephile might disagree with that particular version or not. I don't know. Roughly. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and 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 yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna speak for everybody and say this is a two thumbs up book. I am not dis disagreeing with you. Okay, yeah, I, mean, I feel like I've like been put through the emotional ringer here. Two thumbs and a horror pig. And a horror I pig. Throw in a toe there, too. Oh, God, it's the Kim's toes again. <laughs> That's going to be the second At least I'm not trying to put them behind my head, guys. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> Only in a Cody Goodfellow story. Mm. <laughs> I could do that for Cody Goodfellow. <laughs> Okay. Now, with that said, <laughs> that image in your mind. Yes. We're we're that's that's our version of payback for what Joe Pulver's done to us the past two weeks. Oh. Sorry, Cody. <laughs> you picked on you a little bit there. <clears throat> we love you, Cody. Yes. Just keep on fucking with Doctor Price and. Yes. So we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, so we can just stand back and watch the glory. So that was The Madness of Dr. Caligari, edited by Joe Pulver, published by Fedogan and Burmer. Again, pre-order link in the description. That does it for us this week. Uh, Monday night we are playing Slasher Flick on oh, Monday Night wow. Heroes. Yay! Uh, yes, run with Lily, the author and artist behind Red Velvet Requiem. Um, yes. That'll be coming up slasher Monday. Film aficionado. A slasher film aficionado. Um, How will we die? Who will be first? Find I'm, out Monday. I am going to be first. 
Uh, next Friday, there there will be fun guy again, correct? Yes. As always, more fun guy. More fun guy. Yeah. So watch your Friday fun guy and then uh, read this book. It's trippy. Uh, and then next Saturday, we will uh, continue along in a Joel Pulver-esque vein and look at the Robert Chambers story, The Maker of Moods. Wait, so, not the King in Yellow? <laughs> right, not the King in Yellow. The the other collection. And not anything to do with the King in Yellow. Right. Um, yeah, we'll be looking at the Robert Chambers story, Maker of Moons, next week on uh, Microphones of Madness, our, one of our retro read-throughs. So until then, chinchilla, chinchilla, chinchilla. <laughs> Or a big, or a big, or a big.